Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah Stremming, the Cog Dog Coach, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I cover behavior concepts, discuss training ideas, interview experts, and explore my cases, all regarding the dogs we live and play with. Let's go. Hey, everybody. I've got a treat for you. Return guest, my friend, Marissa Martino. Marissa, will you remind everybody your pronouns? Hi, everyone. I'm excited to be back, and it's she, her. Today, Marissa and I are going to talk about all of the stuff that comes with getting a new dog, especially after another dog has passed. So this is a really complicated time, a really complicated thing, and we're going to get into it. So Marissa, will you just give everybody kind of a brief rundown of your current dog status? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so I live, I share my life with Peru. Peru is coming up on nine months, roughly, and we're we're guesstimating. Um, she's a shepherd lab, mostly Pyrenees mix. And we adopted her, I think she was roughly three months. And um, I adopted her after, I think it was like five or six months after Sully had passed away at 13 years mm-hmm. old. Mm-hmm. And you had Sully his entire life, the 13 years. Yeah, since he was six yeah. months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was your first dog, yeah? He was my first dog as an adult. Like we had a Lhasa yeah. Opso from a pet store, P.S. Um, <laughs> we had a Lhasa. Didn't we all who didn't have a Lhasa Opso from a pet store, <laughs> a pet store. in the 90s? <laughs> totally. Like I, we had one growing up, but um, no, Sully was like my first dog as a trainer, as an adult. So yes, he was my my everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was a big deal. Yeah. So I know because we're friends. So Mm -hmm. we talked a lot through the (laughs) finding of, adopting of, and keeping of Miss Peru. So- And you're still friends with me. Which is shocking. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thank you. So let's start with the search. Mm, Yeah. What was it like- looking for her. You'd never actually done a search for a dog like this. You'd never kind of intentionally ventured out into the world of dogs to try to kind of find a new dog. And you even, you know, you considered all your options. Mm -hmm. You considered a breeder route. You considered an adult rescue. You considered a puppy rescue. You considered a puppy rescue dog. You considered shelter versus private rescue like you really you were open to anything so talk just a little bit about what that search was like yeah I that that search was the first time I wasn't working in a shelter Mm. so it made it a little bit convoluted so when I adopted Sully I was working at the Humane Society of Boulder Valley and I had access to so many dogs coming in and everybody was, you know, everybody in the shelter was looking for me and I could foster really quickly. Like it was a very privileged place to be in Mm -hmm. when you're looking for a dog. Ironically or not, even back then when I was young, I was really young. I was a baby trainer, brand new to the field. I was still really picky. (laughs) Like I was still very picky and I had fostered so many dogs and finally, our director of operations was like, Marissa, oh my gosh, there's like a dog that meets your criteria. 
you got to take him enough or whatever. And and I I did partly because I was scared of her and also partly <laughs> partly because I loved him. And so then when when it came time to find another dog, I mean, I had fortunately I have a lot of relationships with people in Colorado um in the animal welfare sector and I I asked people to look for me and that search was had a lot of stuff in it, right? Like you were like you used the word stuff in the beginning. I didn't realize that like if I if, if I looked at that search through a few different lenses, like it included me getting really particular and then straying from my criteria. Like remember you had said to me so many times you were like, Marissa, I still don't know if you know what you're actually looking for. And this is why I literally you literally like what kind of dog do you actually like, Marissa? <laughs> yeah, like, and it was, it was, I was like ping ponging and sort of all over the place. And I, I believe that because I, like, I thought I was clear, I had all the necessary, like, support in place. Like, I had you, other colleagues, I had people looking for me. And yet I was neurotic during this search. And I think that that was an expression of my grief. And I didn't realize that that was an expression of my grief because I did work with a grief coach and I did sit in my grief about Sully and I I did face it head on. And yet I did these weird behavioral things that like made me again, ping pong back and forth as to what I was looking for because I was just mm-hmm. so, I just wanted a, a new dog so badly. And yeah. I wanted to, I wanted joy again is really what I was looking for. And you kind of circling back a little bit to the grief, like, cause this is classic Marissa. You worked with a coach, you did the shit, you did all the steps. Mm-hmm. So why am did I all the steps? So grief, why grief should be over. <laughs> I checked every box. Why am I still having feelings? (laughs) Exactly. Relatable. Relate. I relate so hard, right? Like I'm like, but I did everything. Why am I still sad? And, or why am I still lost? Why am I still reaching? Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, we talk so many times about the fact that none of these dogs felt right to you because none of them were Sully. Yep. Yeah. And and I kind of thought about, sorry, you thought about, Sully-like features, and then you'd kind of find a dog that really reminded you of him, like even down to weird details, like his name was Sully. Mm, yep. Mm-hmm. And you'd reject, like yeah. re- reject so hard. And it was just, it was a study in one person's grief over one person's grief and then also not having, being a person that has multiple dogs. One of the reasons I like to have multiple dogs is that kind of protective aspect of the fact that I won't be alone. I won't be without a dog. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important to me to have one emotionally. And I can't imagine being without one and still being and still being clear-headed about getting a different one. And you weren't clear-headed about it. No. You were, and you I didn't have a dog anymore and you weren't yep. clear. Yeah. And I mean, I think I really wanted to emphasize grief on this podcast because I think it's so critical because I have heard so many people, and I'm sure you have as well, where they are just like rushed to get their next dog 
because the pain is like, it's too much. It's like, it's like, whoa, yeah. I, you know, and I mean, people have said losing a dog is, is more painful than losing a loved one. And so I guess I want to normalize that today. I want to normalize that like yeah. this grief is real, it's big and it, we do some weird stuff. Like I very much was like, no, I'm not grieving. Like so oh many God, people, including you were telling me, like, I don't know. I feel like you're trying to find something wrong with all these dogs. And I feel like there's resistance. And then I feel like there's a manic search element. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, poor Scott, like he, like he was like just watching this whole thing as I was, okay, we're going to foster this dog. And then, oh, now, now we're going to foster this dog. Like the day I was picking up Peru, the day I was picking up Peru to foster her, I was on a website on a different shelter going, okay, listen, I think we can make it up to Fort Collins to meet this dog before we have to pick up Peru. Literally, you were trying to like add a stop in. Like you were like, okay, but I can go here and I can meet this dog on the way to pick up this dog. It was manic. That was the right word for how you were acting. It was was totally manic, which is why I say thank you for still being friends with me. Um, (laughs) And thank you for my vet for not firing me. <laughs> like, thank you to all the people out there, right? Um, but it was because I wasn't, so I wasn't even, I wasn't listening to myself too. It was also this, this really, like it, it, it really shined a light. It, it was a turning point in terms of some of my growth around noticing that when I am anxious or when I am in grief or when I am trying to prevent adopting another dog with behavior issues, right? Like we're all very concerned about like, especially if we had, we lived with that. When I'm, I'm feeling really grippy, I tend to do behaviors that are step outside myself, be really manic, doubt my decisions, check in and ask, Hey, Sarah, what do you think? Lisa, what do you think? Right. And that is just, that has been like this experience trying to find Peru was such a big, like a huge painful light was shown on some of the coping behaviors that I do when I am not grounded and connected with myself. Like I go external for the answer instead of going internal. And I started to practice it a little bit. Like I would meet a dog at a shelter and then I'd be like, no, this doesn't feel right. And then I would have this immediate desire to go ask somebody in the training center, like, what do you guys think? And then I was like, Marissa, it's about what you think, right? It's about like, don't let the grief and the the anxiety about picking the perfect dog, don't let yourself spiral because like you and Lisa said, you guys were like, there's always going to be something, Marissa. There's always going to be some behavior or some something that you're going to be dealing with with your dog. Yeah. And perfect. Yeah. like, listen to your intuition because that's the only thing that really matters. And, and But you couldn't hear it. I couldn't hear it because you, I was manic, you right? Mm-hmm. You couldn't hear it. And so I think for everybody listening, because they they weren't here for that process, do you know the number off the top of your head, how many dogs you actually fostered through this? Oh, that's a great question. Can you do a quick count? I think I did like only five dogs that I only fostered. Just five, y'all. She said only. <laughs> <laughs> I guess well, two were a pair, right? Remember the bonded pair? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Just slash five. not bonded. I, 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 it's fine. Just five. But I met like. You woo! went to see 
well Maybe like 30 time. dogs or something yeah so you like you try you went to meet 30 plus dogs you soft committed to five yeah like you, soft you fought, because you only fostered dogs that were a potential for you yeah the fostering process was a roller coaster mm-hmm. because like you said you were really obsessed with finding what was wrong with each one mm-hmm even though each of those dogs, which sucks for those dogs, went on to be adopted and loved by a new person. Like none mm-hmm. of these dogs had actually anything wrong with them that would prevent them from being adopted and loved. Mm-hmm. They're all fine dogs. You <laughs> were, you were, I'm going to say you were scared. Like there was such mm-hmm. a fear element coming in. And I understand this. I, most of the people in my kind of world, which is actually one reason that I think you and I can complement each other a lot, and our friend Lisa Mullinax, um, I really appreciate her perspective as well, in the sense that you're both really heavy in the shelter world. Mm-hmm. And most of the dogs that I work with have were purchased from breeders yep. intentionally, and all of the dogs that I own were purchased from breeders intentionally. And so... First of all, thank you for not being the kind of shelter people who hate me for that. Second of all, <laughs> yep, absolutely not. Um, second of all, it's it's a totally different ball of wax to pick a breeder and a pairing and get a puppy. And mm-hmm. we discussed that ball of wax because I may have been trying to coerce you that direction, but it's it's totally different. And so, but people come at it with all of the same emotions that you came at it with if they're in grief. They come at it, they they say to me, you know, because I talk to people all the time about, you know, if they're a client of mine or they've been a student of mine, they want my opinion on stuff, right? So they might send me, they might send me like some OFA results on some dogs that they're considering a puppy out of. And I might say, yeah, that looks fine to me. Or I might say, mm, I think this is a little bit of a concern. And like, but to me, sending your friend Sarah, who you're not even in coaching with at current, uh, the OFA <laughs> listing, the hip, the hip scores essentially of mm-hmm. two dogs that you're interested in is a place of fear. Cause like, you know what you would like that OFA to say. So asking me if it's okay that it says this is like you asking me if it's okay that the dog is whining and scratching at the crate when you walk out of the room. Yeah, like all when, training like, skills you know out the, the window. You know the answer to that? In fact, <laughs> training Marissa, skills. I'm pretty sure I said to you at one point, could you pull your head out of your ass and start acting like a behavior consultant? <laughs> you did. <laughs> you did. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm such a fraud. Because you're. this is what I'm saying. It's the emotion. Like, like you said, it is the fear or it is the anxiety. Like it is the concern about this big decision, the pressure of this big decision, hopefully a decade plus years, right. With this animal. And, and then again, if you have previous negative experiences, like I wouldn't even say Sully was like, had significant behavior concerns, but you know, he was particular about other dogs and he was reactive, but it was pretty mild to moderate. And I still was like, gosh, I don't want to, I deal with behavior concerns all day long in my profession. I really just want to come home to an easy dog. And then I had guilt around that. Remember that? Like you were like, Marissa, Yes. Girl, stop being you the martyr. So guilty for wanting to adopt a really nice, easy dog. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why do you think I go buy one 
and try literally put as many eggs in the basket as I possibly can. Yeah. In my in my favor. Yeah. Because I know everything's a roll of the dice no matter what you do. And I'm trying to set myself up for success as best as I possibly can. And I yeah. think that you should also do that regardless mm-hmm. of where you're getting this dog from. So you mentioned the word guilt over that. And I think that people experience guilt in a lot of ways when they're getting a new dog. Guilt over the fact that their other dog is gone and how are they supposed to love a different dog? Like, is it okay for them to even love a different dog? Is it okay for them to think about another dog? People will think about, you know, in my world, people think about their next puppy usually before they've lost another dog. And the guilt surrounding that is pretty extreme. I felt that. Mm -hmm. And guilt, you know, we like to talk about the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is feeling uh, you have a definition for us here of feeling responsible or regretful for a perceived offense real or imaginary. And I love that the actual definition has a distinction here that guilt Mm -hmm. exists, even if the offense is not real, Mm -hmm. that you can still feel this emotion, even though there's nothing tangible to feel guilty about. Sure. Like when I was like, Oh, I can't wait for the new dog and I'm going to go hiking, whatever. Like, did Sully know I was thinking that? Did he feel that? I mean, I don't know. Like, did my behavior change? Like, th- that I am curious about that, right? Um, or like, Sully had a certain – Sully had some reactivity to other dogs and mm-hmm. even, like, some distaste for other dogs. Like, he just wasn't a super social guy with dogs. And you wanted to not experience that again. Yep. Like, you wanted to not go through reactivity again. Did you have guilt about that? Surprisingly, no, like not in that context, but I had guilt, like I had guilt for being a trainer and I'm sure a lot of trainers can attest Mm. to this. I had guilt where I'm like, yeah, I'm not getting a border collie. I'm not getting a shepherd. I'm getting a Pyrenees mix that is like, doesn't need as much. (laughs) Like, like, I don't know. I was, I was very, I had guilt that I didn't want something hard and I didn't want something that like mm-hmm. I needed to train all the time because that's not some that's not how I want to live. Um mm-hmm. I so I didn't have guilt that I wanted free from behavior concern. Right? I didn't have guilt there. I had yeah. guilt that I wanted something easier from a trainer perspective, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And so you have Peru. Mm-hmm. Like you said, she's nine months old. She is a really nice dog. She's great. You did a good job, right? And yet, it's not been a smooth road to kind of bond with her. So even though she does check all the boxes, she's even mostly Pyrenees, which Sully was part Pyrenees, and you had this attraction to Mm -hmm. peers and a lot of their qualities, Mm -hmm. which I totally support. We kind of talked about some other people thinking that that was a bad idea, but they are, they're kind of like the softer uh, livestock guardian breed. Like if you were like, I just really need a kubas, I would have been like you. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely Um, not. And the other breeds that are in her absolutely also soften her. And Mm -hmm. so she's, she's great. She's this, and I think pure mixes in general that I've known are- We've talked about that. Mm -hmm. Are great. And so why has it been 
why has it been hard? And also, what have you done? Like, what actions have you taken to kind of help this process forward? Because you recognize that it's a thing. You've even seen clients go through it. You've helped clients. And so there are actual tangible things. So we're kind of here in this podcast, we're saying, number one, it's normal for you to feel like this. Mm -hmm. But number two, there's stuff you can do about it. Yep. So talk about the process. Yeah, I think it was hard to bond with her. I think I have a tendency to do this in general in life where I am. I mean, if anyone knows the Enneagram, I am unfortunately or fortunately a six. And so (laughs) I am like, I'm always weighing the risks or weighing the the options. It's a pretty anxious personality style. And, And there's a lot of people that either on my Instagram or reach out that like feel anxious around their dogs. And then they're so worried about their anxiety impacting their dogs and the training and so on and so forth. So I guess I want to say like, you're not alone. I am a pretty anxious person. And so I think I was like, are you my dog? Are you not my dog? Like for in the beginning, I was sort of like still hedging, like still like, but I, I said, I didn't want a puppy and here I am with a puppy and she's not socialized really at all. Like she met like three people and was found by a river, like in Oklahoma or can't wherever. And I was like, Ooh, like, am I really setting myself up to fail here? You know? And then finally one day it was just like, okay, she's my dog. So then I felt firmly rooted in that, but there were, I also have a tendency. And again, none of this has to do with Peru. (laughs) I also have a tendency to expect the best, like in, in, in sort of like this really naive way. Like I'm like, Oh, okay, great. I found the dog. All the anxiety about finding the dog is over. Now it's going to be smooth sailing. Like there's this weird, like Marissa, you have a four month old. How is there, how is this going to be smooth sailing? Like you've got stuff to do and she's not even adolescent yet. And so when stuff pops up, it almost catches me off guard, even though like mm-hmm. rationally, I'm preparing for it, but it 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 caught me off guard. And then to add on to that, like my personal life, as you know, was really challenged during this time that I got Peru. So my emotional bandwidth was really limited. And so I think maybe that's actually why I was so startled when she was, you know, when I couldn't leave her alone or like I like it, I didn't have the emotional bandwidth really for a puppy that is going into adolescence, right? On top of grieving Sully that I was denying that I was still in in grief about, right? So mm. I think that, you know, I found myself, like I would call you, right? I would, I, like, I found myself being like sitting at my computer and she's doing something and i'm like under my breath like fuck you peru <laughs> right and then i would like and then i would like take a breath and i'm like okay marissa do it oh, clarify she's doing something that you kind of need her to stop doing exactly she's exactly doing, like yeah, she's she's, she's, doing, she's doing something and i'm just doing like something that you need her to not do like she's grabbed a pillow off of the bed or something that totally she like to normal stuff nice pillow. yes yeah yeah. Normal had, puppy stuff. You had little little fuck you moments. I had little fuck you moments. And then I would be like, Marissa, ugh, like, what do you need right now? Like, you yeah. need 
to get up from your computer and take a walk with her. Or like you need to meditate for five minutes or you need to like stand up and like physically shake out what's happening in your body because like Peru is being normal puppy and it's just that you don't have the emotional bandwidth. And, you know, I also was very much like, yeah, you're going through a divorce. You don't have the emotional bandwidth, Marissa. Like, you know, like offer myself some grace. Like I'm offering her grace that like, hey, (laughs) you're a puppy. And of course you want to chew my pillow. Like that's so fun for you. And it's like, hey, Marissa, you're going through really hard stuff too. Like, of course you don't have bandwidth and you're like whispering under your breath, fuck you to Peru, right? Like like offering both of us grace was really the only way I was going to get out of it because I have a tendency to just power through stuff and not mm, like stop same. and go like, same. hey, whoa, Whew, we need to do a shake off. We need to take a deep breath. We need to drink water. We need to take a nap. Like what do we need that is just so small in the moment so that I can expand my bandwidth a little bit in order to show up for her and for me? Like I don't want to – like I'm sure nobody – that's listening to his podcast is like, oh, I love it when I yell at my dog. That feels really good. Like nobody zero people like yeah at their dogs, and then also everybody does. Yes, everybody does, and like we have shame and guilt around it and grief around it, and it's like, gosh, like the last thing we need then is to then shame ourselves for having a human moment. And so I really have just been pausing reflecting, like just no, like just taking a breath and like, I am human. This is messy. What do we both need right now? She needs a walk. I probably need some fresh air too. And also, is it okay for us to go out on a walk? Because I can also just carry this emotion outside. And then I don't want to be doing that on the walk too, right? So like, does she need an enrichment item while I like close my eyes and like breathe for three minutes, right? Like what is it that we need that is going to help dissipate some of this charge? And again, because I'm anxious, I have a lot of charge. So I I don't think it's really about like, okay, so I did all these games with her. And then, you know, it, it really was, Marissa, I have to take, you have to take care of yourself because if you don't, like you're not going to develop or take care of and cultivate the relationship that you're looking for with this dog. So yeah. Yes. And I think, you know, we're talking about some hard, some actual tangible skills here, like the ability to check in with those feelings and kind of go, whoa, okay. I observe this behavior that I don't like appreciate in myself. So let me check the mindset behind that behavior. And then where's the unmet need? Because mm-hmm. anytime there's a behavior concern, there's an unmet need behind it. This goes for dogs. This goes for people. You know, I always go back to, I, you know me, I'm like out there with my comparisons, but I always go back to this research study. And I, I think it's been replicated more than once. So it's, it's pretty consistent where if you put a rat in a barren cage with no friends, and you give the rat access to cocaine, he will consume cocaine until he dies. He'll become addicted quickly, and he will do that until he dies. If you put a rat in a rat Disneyland with, like, all the stuff rats like and other rats to be friends with, and you give them access to cocaine, they don't touch it. Wow. That is wild. That is outrageous. Right? Wow. And so Mm -hmm. 
any behavior that we would consider bad, that we would label bad, there's an unmet need behind it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, in especially in people, sometimes it's very complicated. Yes. Right? Like childhood trauma and, mm-hmm. you know, other kinds of trauma. And I just, sometimes it's extremely complicated. But it starts with the ability to go, whoa, okay, here's a behavior I observe that I don't appreciate about myself. And rather than, because this is my my jam, is just knock it the fuck off strumming. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's my jam. Cut it the fuck out. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> my jam is to just uh, try to self-correct, right? To just tell myself not to. When I am being the person that I want to be, I instead get a little softer and ask, mm-hmm. what do you need right now? And sometimes it's simple, like oh, I'm having a really high pain day. What I need Mm -hmm. is to go take a break. Yep. And other times it's really way more complicated. Like I need, you know, that person 10 years ago to have not acted that way. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) Right? So, but I think that when you are building a relationship with a new dog, you know, or a person, but when you're building a relationship with a new dog, really staying checked in to that mindset piece yep, is vital because it's relationship. It, it causes relationship injury for you to fly off the handle at them. Yep. Yell at them, get irritated. And, and the only way to not is to check in and yeah. you still will sometimes. So just, so give yourself some grace on that one. Like you will, if you practice checking in after you do, you will start to check in before. Yeah. Yeah, and I think when you're when you're you're talking about the the mindset piece like when I'm working with clients on their mindset when we actually shine a light on their mindset for whatever reason that we're working on it there's a lot of then immediate shame about the mindset and it's like listen you're a human being you're feeling frustrated or you're feeling sad. Like so many people recently on, I I had posted on Instagram where I was talking about the comparison between Sully and Peru that I was experiencing. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, I feel that. I miss my old dog. I rushed into getting a new dog or my new dog has behavior issues. My old dog didn't, right? Like this, this like comparison that is really hard. And then, so they're like feeling the feelings of the comparison. And then you're, they're like, oh, like that's so painful to feel, to feel it. Even though that's super normal, our brain is hardwired to do that. Then they like, it's almost like putting shit on top of shit. Like then you shame yourself for even feeling something that is really hardwired to feel. Um, and so it's, it's just being curious about, okay, okay, wow, my mindset is like, I am overwhelmed and don't even know if I want a dog. Like, that is a really scary thing to say, right? Like, I had I had felt that. Like, I will be honest where I'm just like, I have no bandwidth for anyone but me right now because of what I'm going through personally. Mm-hmm. This is not even fair for Peru. And then I would mm-hmm. feel that and go like, whoa, that was really intense for me to feel. And then I could then I could go, well, you're a trainer, Marissa, and how dare you not have a dog? Like, I, I mean, I could have gone down so many spirals from there, and it's like, okay, 
good to know what's the information in here? What do I need? Right? Like, how can I get curious with the mindset? Like you said, what do I need in this moment? Clearly I need more bandwidth or I need to take care of myself differently, or I need to ask my community for help. Like so many of my people, I mean, I'm really fortunate. So many of my people love her and, and we're like, Oh my God, well, I'll take her hiking while you move or like just everybody stepped in to support her again because she's yummy and lovable. And yeah, because I didn't have it. And so I was like, okay, I, I don't have the bandwidth. You're here. You have the bandwidth. I'm going to receive that help, which is also really hard for, for people to do. And I do feel like I will say today, Monday, March 13th, right? Like I feel um, f- like filled. Like I feel, I feel way more uh, emotionally capable and therefore I'm showing up differently in this relationship. And I'm noticing like she's cuddling more and like there, there's just something more fulfilling about how we're engaging right now because I have the emotional bandwidth. And again, that doesn't, the moral of the story is not, well, Marissa, you need to be always perfect and have all the emotional bandwidth for this relationship. It's like, no, 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 no. The the moral of the story is like, sometimes I will and sometimes I won't. And when I won't, I have the tools to help me check it out, be curious, ask for help. And I'll flow back to where I have emotional bandwidth again. Like nothing is stagnant or, or stays the same. And so, and I don't expect myself or this dog to be perfect. Right. So Again, it goes back to like it's always goes back to the grace element where it's just like and and I see a lot of my clients have like boatloads of grace for their dogs and I'm just like, "Hey, where where's the where's like where's like the kayak filled grace for you?" Like, let's just start there. You know what I'm saying? And then and then sometimes it's opposite. Like like they they have a cruise ship of grace for themselves but not their dogs, right? So it's it's just I'm seasick just thinking about these <laughs> Yeah, you and your boats. My My boats. Um, I don't know where that that came from. Yeah, but I know what you're saying because it's – we do sometimes feel like grace is like a finite resource when Mm -hmm. the opposite is true, that the more Mm -hmm. you have, the more you have. So the more you practice it, the more you're able to practice it. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm practicing grace, if I'm practicing acceptance, I'm better tomorrow at practicing it as well. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's uncomfortable. Like, we're not standing here being like, ooh, Grace, try it. It's great. It's fun. Like, it's, <laughs> it is really uncomfortable to just kind of love what is because there's nothing else here. But there are also, there are also less woo practices that we can mm-hmm. give people, <laughs> right? Yeah. So there are actual action steps yep. towards building a relationship with a new dog. For me, I train my dogs for sports. And so a big way that I build a relationship with a new dog is sport training. Mm-hmm. It starts right away. I'm teaching all the foundation skills right away. I'm learning who they are. I'm learning how they like to learn. I'm learning what they like. I'm building reinforcers. It is a huge process for me. That's not how you build a relationship with a new dog. So 
talk about that a little bit. Talk about some action steps that kind of anybody can do, even if they, you know, if they're not a sport person, if they aren't even a trainer necessarily, what can we do? Yeah. I mean, I do think that, I mean, training is an element of it. And like, I mean, there are some breeds that need that mental state. Like, I don't think Peru, like if, if I didn't give Peru or Selly for that matter, a bunch of training sessions in a week, like I could get away with that. Right. Because I would be engaging her and I used to engage Sully through like a mental and a physical element, right. Mental being enrichment items or enrichment activities, because I like doing that. And also physical, like hiking and being off leash in nature. Right. Mm -hmm. I could get away with that. Whereas like some breeds, you might not be able to to get away with that. Like, absolutely not. They need that, that, that training, that really complicated mental simulation. And so I'm sure that (laughs) you can attest to that, right? Because you have really smart breeds that need that mental simulation. Yeah. Like I like them like that. I pick Mm -hmm. them like that. I, the other way that I build a relationship with the new dog is by going on walks off leash outside. Yeah. I think a lot of people are stunned to find out that I, they're off leash from day one with yeah. me. I don't wait for them to have a perfect recall. So is Peru. Because mm-hmm. in my opinion, you won't have your perfect recall if you yeah. start them out on leash. So I, they're off leash from day one. I'm building, I'm building our connection and our relationship out in the world from day one. Yeah. And also, you know, engaging in some sport training stuff. For me, it is heavy on the outside in nature. Mm-hmm. And then the sport stuff grows kind of as the puppy shows me that they're ready for it to grow. So some puppies have really accelerated learning and some puppies don't. And I'm cool with that. I'm cool with just kind of taking it as slow as it needs to go. Another thing that I do, though, is I'm extremely playful with my dogs. And it is amazing to me how many people are actually not. Yeah. And play, I think, and we can shout out to the good Amy doctor, Cook. Amy Cook, um, on this one, because it is, she says her exact quote is play is magic. And she's mm-hmm. right. She's absolutely there's, right. Yeah. There is something really magical that happens when you are, when you engage in genuine play with anybody else, mm-hmm. but in, including your dog. And like, to me, there's no, there's no greater joy than being playful with the dog and they're playing back at you and they're, they're laughing and you are laughing. And I mean, that to me is if you haven't experienced that, like we'll just again say Amy Cook teaches you how in her course and we'll all link it in the notes. But did you get to know Peru and build your relationship with Peru through play from the beginning? Yeah. Play was huge. I think too, when I, I played with Sully, but not the way I play with Peru. I think I, you know, after learning so much about Dr. Amy Cook, like I, and, and her play is magic. Like I was like, wow, I was really taking that for granted. And so by the time I taught Sully, he was a little stiff, like from a physical Mm -hmm. perspective. And he was also like, there was a certain way he liked to play where he felt most comfortable. Whereas like with Peru, she's a young puppy um, she's really goofy and it is so reinforcing for me to play with her. And again, I am like high drive, get it done type A. So it has been really, it's hard for me to stop and be like silly 
And mm. I it it I was like, Brissa, this is so your opportunity to drop in, like hang out with your inner child and be silly for like five, 10 minutes even, right? And so, and that's been like she and I play every day. We play on walks, we play in the house. Like that's been again, it helps me shake off some of the tension I might be holding or some of the anxiety I might be holding. And it is just again, it's so reinforcing for me because she's so damn cute when she put like it is out of control. And so I I feel like that is an element too when you're building a relationship with a dog, especially a dog that you're feeling a little resistance to. It's like find the stuff where you feel lit up too. So if like you feel lit up being in nature or you feel lit up like, you know, making enrichment, frozen enrichment items for your week, right? Do like doing that meal prep or you feel lit up by training or whatever. Like do that stuff because we need you to have a learning history where you're reinforced by the engagement as well. Um, it always is 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 best when you've got an overlap. Like both Peru and I love to play, and both Peru and I love to hike. So we we do those things together, and they both meet our needs. And so it's sort it's it's sort of a win win there. But yeah, like being able to recognize like how you want to spend your quality time and choosing those activities that that are really going to fill you both up. Yeah, and that's I mean, that's everything, right? It's mm-hmm. this isn't about do this thing you don't like doing because it will build your relationship. Totally. That will never actually work. <laughs> totally. That will never actually work. But another thing that you mentioned that we talked about and we'll just give another shout out here is Kathy Sedeo's idea, Smart Times 50. Mhm. Smart Times 50 is all about finding reinforceable behavior. So will you say what Smart Times 50 is? Yeah. So it's an acronym, CMARC and reward training. You take 50 pieces of food and you start to reinforce behaviors all throughout the day. And so you're basically capturing behavior. And I like I like doing that just because, um, like you said, Sarah, I had her off leash like right from the get go, and so I'm capturing check ins. I'm capturing her walking near me. I'm capturing like just anything that I really like, and I felt like that that like kick started our communication pretty quickly. And I'm again reinforcing behaviors that I want to see often. That doesn't mean that that you know, I'm not also working on her recall. I'm not also working on a solid drop it or whatever. But if she does those behaviors on her own, I am marking those and being like, hey, love that. When I, you're new to me. We're dating. And so I want to tell you that I love that and that and that, right? So mm-hmm. it just feels like a fast way to communicate, especially for novice trainers or novice uh, pet parents, like to just like grab food and start marking and reinforcing and you can have it around the house. You can like, again, I do a lot of it out on our walks or, or our off-leash hikes. So it just feels, it feels accessible and easy versus like making this training a list of like a ton of behavior mm-hmm. that I need to, to, to train her. And again, I have that list as well, but it, this like kickstarted our dialogue. Yeah. And it, I like the word dialogue there because it it basically informs them that they have the key to get stuff from you with their Mm -hmm. behavior because that's actually not something they come understanding. Mm -hmm. So teaching them that there's payment on the table all the time. 
for certain things can be really valuable. I also think Smart Times 50 teaches the people in the equation how to be really good at seeing good things because we're very good at seeing bad things. We're very good at seeing things we'd like to correct. We're not great at seeing things that we'd like to reward. And so putting 50 kibbles in a bowl and saying the goal is to get rid of those today is a clear antecedent for this person to notice more things that are reinforceable. Mm -hmm. And it is a relationship booster for sure. It is a little bit dangerous for dogs that already have a really solid history of kind of transactional learning with people. When I do it, I do it really intentionally and I actually leave out the M, the mark most of the time and just deliver Mm -hmm. the food because I can really run into, you know, my dogs will just be like, okay, so last time we got a cookie was when we walked through this exact threshold, turned around and looked at her. So I'm just going to do that a few more times. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You know, or in the case of Iggy, she's like, there's a bowl of 50 treats. Look how amazing I am. I'm Mm -hmm. on the bed. And also, did you notice I'm on the bed? And also I Mm -hmm. am barking so that you notice that I'm on the bed. So certainly if the dog already has like a, a big hefty history of training, you need to be more mindful, I think, with Smart Times 50. But again, is mindfulness bad? Is mindfulness helpful? Yes. Yeah. I am curious about, um, because those examples were in the house, because I can see how that would get like, you'd get behavior chains that you don't want. Do you think there's a difference between doing Smart Times 50 inside versus outside? Because there's like, on some level outside, there's way more distractions And so I think I would always want to be capturing, right? Yeah. So I think the difference is I don't really think they're different other than the fact that when I'm outside with my dogs- You're competing against a lot of stuff. We are doing a thing together, period. Uh When I'm inside my house, like right now, I'm on my computer on a recording with you and they're all sleeping on dog beds. According to Smart Times 50, I might feed them for sleeping on dog beds. Yep. Yep. My version of Smart Times 50- because I do want them to sleep on dog beds when I'm on calls, is that I do not end calls unless that is what they're doing. So if they're up around doing stuff, I just kind of casually wait. Like if we ended our call and I wasn't on any kind of super time crunch to get up, I would just stay here until that is what they were doing. And then I would get up and good things would happen for dogs. So that's just me recognizing the reinforcements everywhere. And there's a lot of Mm -hmm. different kinds and it's not just food. And I'm going to make sure that reinforcement arrives when they are doing what I would like them to be what doing. What you want, yeah. I do that on the trail also. There are certain things that my dogs like on trails. Like Felix is obsessed with the phrase this way. Like he just would really like me to say this way so that he can run the correct direction <laughs> down a trail. I mean, it's just border collies are not right in the head. And so I'm pretty careful to not say that unless he's engaging in behaviors that I'd like to see repeated. And I that I learned that through mistake because I built a really terrible behavior chain with the phrase this way that I don't like, that I've been actively working against. So it is not different. It's simply that I might want to make different choices regarding my reinforcers. When Regardless of the context you're in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so- Or based um, on the context you're in. Yeah. And like if if I'm in a context where I need a really high level of attention, 
then the rate of reinforcement is simply going to be higher. Yep. And that's that's fine. And that's what makes sense to me. But yeah, if I'm on a call, like I'm not throwing kibble at them right now. Yeah. They're asleep. There's reinforcement present in the fact that they are comfy on beds. They're comfy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Resting. Right. So mm-hmm. I mean that's like this is like a whole other podcast. But totally. Smart Times 50 is is a good thing to try for sure. Especially so with a new with with a new dog. With right, a brand right. new dog especially especially yeah anything else that you would like to say as far as action steps that you took yeah i do well so i didn't take this because i because peru does not have knock on wood <laughs> she does not have complicated behavior concerns but i do see this with my clients where their dogs do have complicated behavior concerns they get really fixated on just doing the training element, right? Where they're they're like they're fixated on fixing. Mm. It's a lot of fixing. Like they're fixated on <laughs> fixing the dog and fixing the problem mm-hmm. that they sort of there's there's an imbalance of doing versus being with their dogs, right? Like they're mm-hmm. like, okay, I have got to do the training plan. And I'm not saying that like, hey, I'm not saying abort that. Like I'm not I'm not saying like that's not important. It is important and and I'm so used to being like type A and list oriented and let's fix it and do stuff as well. But more recently in the past few years I've been like, what if we what if your homework was actually just like playing with your dog or what if your homework was just like writing down the things you love about them and then doing those things or what if your homework was just like laying on the floor and being present with your dog, right? Like just balancing the doing with some more being, like taking that pressure off from this, like having to fix everything. Cause I do, I see a lot of my clients like get really sort they, they're so committed and they love supporting their dogs. And a lot of them love training and then they, they get really grippy about it. And so I'm just, I want to, I want to invite them to say like, what's your intention behind it? Are you feeling grippy or are you really feeling called to it? Great. If you're feeling called to it, do it. And if you're feeling grippy, could you balance that with maybe some just being with your dog? Like remembering why you love your dog, just having like a, a short little moment in passing. Like Kayla Fratt talked a lot about that. Like the things that build up her relationship with Barley weren't these big extravagant moments. They were just like these moments in passing that like looking over at him and smiling or sitting with Mm -hmm. him and petting him, like just having these small moments because those really fill our cup in, in a way that doing and performing may not. And so just being intentional behind your choices in activities with your dogs. Yeah. I feel like you saw me a couple times in this call, like look over and smile. And it's like, because I just think that Raya is so cute and she has like a million toes and she's like curled <laughs> up and her little toes are everywhere. And like, she's just so adorable. And I think that you actually just pinpointed the difference between, you know, me and most of the people that I consider close friends in the performance world. And a lot of people in the performance world, in the dog performance world, is that my value for them doesn't have anything to do with what they do for me in sports. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've said it a million times, like Rhea doesn't have to do anything in sports for her to be really special to me. Mm -hmm. And I say it about all of them. I say it about Felix. When I got Felix as a puppy, he was so special and sweet and wonderful from the beginning. And I was just like, Oh, you don't have to do anything. Yeah. And 
I think that I've definitely observed people sometimes really only appreciating their dog when they are performing well. And then that's where the performance world, I think, gets a yucky reputation sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to building a relationship with a new dog or even enhancing the relationship with the dog that you have, yes, if you feel yes. a little bit of disconnect, yes, those those little moments of appreciation really are important. They really, really do count. Like if you, which is why I tell people to get a dog that they like looking at because. <laughs> I know. I love I, that you say that. And I, I so tell people agree. all the time. <laughs> Looks matter. Don't pretend they don't. Don't pretend they don't. They do. They so So, do. If I'm talking to people about getting a dog from a breeder, it is number one, pick the breeder that you like and trust. Number two, pick the breeding, the cross that you're interested in. And then the third thing you do is you just pick the one that you think is most attractive. Like honestly, (laughs) just the one that is the cutest to you should probably be the one that's yours. If a breeder was picking my puppy for me, which happens often because a breeder knows them better than you do. They've lived with them for two months uh, at least. But if a breeder picked a puppy for me that I literally thought was just ugly, (laughs) Marissa, I would say no. I would say thank you so much. But like, I I love you for this. Because I don't, and (laughs) you know, I think a lot of people don't love me for this and don't appreciate it. But the truth is that like, I have to, I'm going to look at this dog for the next, hopefully, 14, 15 years, Mm -hmm. and there are going to be problems. They're going to be, you know, shit's going to go wrong in my life. The dog's going to have behavior stuff. If it's a border collie, God knows it's going to have behavior stuff that I'm going to have to work really hard on. I need to be able to have these moments where I look at you and just think, oh, you're the cutest thing I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you're so beautiful. Right. And like, if you genuinely just think all your dogs are beautiful, no matter what, like, congratulations. I'm so happy for you. I don't. So that (laughs) yeah, I feel like based on what they look like, it's just something that you know about yourself. That is good. It's an antecedent to set you up for like emotional success. Right. And it is, it's good. It's a good antecedent to just, yes. One that I think is the most attractive. Yes. And Um, I feel like I, 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 I agree with that. And and like you said, somebody else might have a different antecedent to set them up for emotional success. Yes. Like yes. that is just is very similar as to like, you know, when I'm taking Prue on off-leash trails, remember I was like I was picking the wrong I was like, "Ooh, this trail's not good." And like I'm being smart about, okay, wow, we have finally found where we're going to be off leash. This feels really good because of A, B, and C. It's it's easy for her. She's not eating cow shit all the time, right? Like it feels like a very similar strategic move <laughs> to set everybody yeah, like, else for no, success. There's no reason for you to should all over yourself, right? Like there's no mm-hmm. reason to be like, well, I should love this puppy for all the other things that it is. Yeah. You know, regardless of the fact that I don't like its face. Like, no, no, you shouldn't. Just it's fine. Or I should be able to walk Peru and enjoy it on every single trail that I have access to. Yeah. It's just like no, that's not even enjoyable. So much pressure. It's so much pressure. So I think that, you know, I think we've hit on so many important little pieces. And I think what's most important here is that people who are listening to this who are in a similar situation are going to know that they're not alone. 
Yes, it's critical. Because you're not. The feelings of guilt, the feelings of uncertainty. Feelings of like like regret almost, like sort of like, oh, I should have, I should have known better and chosen differently. And yeah, like all this. It's like we are with you. Well, we are. And and just knowing that grief is its own like living, breathing animal and you got to let it do what it's going to do. Yeah. Yeah. So Marissa, where can people find you? And I know that you've got something exciting coming up for them. Yeah. So uh, you can find me at pauseandreward.com and over at Instagram, pause and reward. Yes. My reflective relationship program is launching April 11th. The cart's going to open March 31st. You can find it at pauseandreward.com forward slash relationship. It is a community-driven program all about my six connection principles. We dive into each of them and the skills necessary to embody them each week. Um, and then we have live calls with other pet parents and trainers. And it's been, it's the feedback we keep getting about this program is that like the community element, like you were just saying, you're not alone. The community element has been so fulfilling for people in it. And so we'd love to, to have listeners join. If you join, use CogDog15 and you get 15% off the program. Thank you. That is awesome. So if any of this resonated with you, that is for sure a place that you can go and explore these things deeper. And mm-hmm. it's not just for people in a new dog. It is anywhere that they are in their process with their dog. Yep. Thank you so much, Marissa. This was Thanks, fun. Sarah. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe wherever you heard this podcast. And don't forget to join Patreon at patreon.com slash cogdogradio. And if you're interested in more content like the stuff you heard here, I hope you'll check out my online courses, my membership, and all of my offerings at my website, sarahstremming.com. See you there.